Some people try to pick up girls, get called an asshole. This never happened to Pablo Picasso. Why, he could walk down the street. Girls could not resist his stare. Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole. Not like you. Girls would turn the color of an avocado When he'd drive down the street in his El Dorado While he was only five foot three Girls could not resist his stare Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole Girls get called an asshole. This did not happen to Pablo Picasso. Why? He could walk down the street. Girls could not resist his stare. Subsequently, Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole. Nope. Not right here. This is Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm talking to Nate Neal, whose new book, I guess newish, a couple months old, Fanographics is a Sanctuary, as well as a plethora of work in the various MOM anthologies over the last couple of years. And I didn't realize he'd done this. You mentioned an email uh, anthology, a comics anthology called Hoax, which looks like yeah. it was a swell group of books involved in that. Yeah, I have an affection for hoax. Um, it's too bad that we couldn't... I think it came out around the same time Mom did, um, but it was a pamphlet, um, just like 30 pages, mm -hmm. um, with me and a, a couple other friends. Eleanor Davis was involved with it briefly. Um, Dash Shaw did a, a one-pager for the final issue. He, he was going to do something for the 
subsequent issue, but it we couldn't financially keep it going. Mm-hmm. So. And uh, Hans Rickett? Yeah, Hans was in it too. Um, he came, I think the third issue, he he gave us something, and then he did something for the fourth. Um, yeah, he t- he later he told me he really loved Hoax too because it was it was printed on newsprint and uh, it was kind of in the the tradition of of old school comics. So um, I think he had a soft spot for it, just like I did. Kind of like an underground anthology. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not sure. You could probably find it if you hunted around. I just mean the corridors of the newsprint and the mix of artists and whatnot. Yeah, it was actually it had a real radical slant to it. We wouldn't just um, let anybody get involved with it. Um, there, there wasn't a collective ideology behind it or anything, but it was definitely. Um, it wasn't tame stuff. A qualitative but, ideology? Uh, what was that? Uh, a, an ideology of quality, maybe? Uh, oh, definitely quality, but um, I guess the subject matter of of uh, the comics, because um, we were all pretty, we were pretty pissed off. Uh, we were all 20-something pissed off about the political situation and and all that stuff back in 2005 and 2006. But, um, yeah. <laughs> There's, there does seem to be an underlying political consciousness in a lot of your work, um, especially when you get into the plebis. Is that the how you pronounce them? Plebis? Oh, uh, the plebs. The plebs. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, in my earlier stuff there was was pretty political. Um, Ted Stern. I went to SCAD, and Ted Stern used to say that he was one of my teachers there. Said that everything I did was political, and that used to piss me off because I. But then I, I think he was kind of right. Yeah. But um, I think I strayed away from that. Now it's more disguised with symbolism and stuff. If I if I do have a political slant to anything. I didn't realize that Ted had taught. I don't know if he mentioned that when I interviewed him. Yeah, he might be ashamed of it. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, he was kind of a crazy figure there because he would he had never taught before and he would um, and I think I was in his first classes he ever taught. Um, yeah, he would he had been known to make students cry with his critique. <laughs> <laughs> Which deservedly they I mean uh, so many of the the students in there were just so terrible um they didn't really belong in there they were wasting their own money you know yeah and uh I admired him for the dressing down he would give these kids but um he had a reputation for, for being kind of a curmudgeon a brutal curmudgeon <laughs> <laughs> but Eleanor and I who we had we uh went to SCAD at the same time we I mean we loved him mm-hmm. he was like our hero as far as a teacher so you originally from Georgia no I'm from Michigan oh, okay what was I the choice off. to go down to to SCAD the Savannah um I originally they had a film program I I thought I wanted to do films initially but uh I got in there and there was it just seemed too rigid and expensive so I I uh I dropped out for a period and made a film a feature film on my own um but the whole experience just made me realize I didn't want to do that mm-hmm. um with my life so I I went back to the just drawing and writing which I'd been doing anyway since I was a kid and uh got a few things published at, uh, in an SPX anthology and just uh, went with it. Met Eleanor kind of encouraged me to, to keep going and Ted and and uh, then I was just full blown into the comics thing. <laughs> the slippery slope that is comics. Yes. 
Um, did you have a lot of output as far as comics go while you were in college? Was that like kind of working on some ideas that you'd revisit later, or do you find you've changed a lot since then? Um, Jesus, what was I doing there? I uh, that was kind of a tumultuous period. I I did do a, I mean, maybe I did uh, sixty or seventy pages worth of of stuff that I wouldn't want anyone to see, really. Um, there's some mini-comics probably floating around somewhere. Um, yeah, nothing substantial. So when did you start working on the Sanctuary? Uh, actually, I was I was going to Sked when I started. I did a really crude version of it. Um, it started around 2003, I think. Uh but I couldn't really, the drawings weren't satisfactory. Um, so I, I kept redrawing it for a couple of years. Um, but then I think in 2006, my my drawing skills were a little bit better. And uh, that's when I started on the, the final version that that is the book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's... I did one half and then had to... Uh, Take take a year off just to make money. It was all about making money and then living off of the money I earned and then uh, trying to finish it. You know, so the whole process took several several years, four or five years maybe altogether. What is it about this particular story that has really latched onto you and kind of been ever present creatively? Um, the sanctuary, right? You're yeah. talking about? Yeah. Uh, what is it that latched on to me? Because, um, I mean, you know, to, to start a project and then restart it, that's something, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you have an idea, and then if it, if it doesn't go away if, as the years go on, you, you can be pretty sure it's probably a, a worthy idea. Um, I don't know. To me, the book is about everything. Everything that I think about how the world operates and uh, my own personal life, it seems to all to all be in that book, um, even though it's under the, the mask of this caveman silliness. <laughs> <laughs> they, they provide the role as ciphers to uh, rearrange what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, and it's not that it's not that black and white. I mean, I probably couldn't explain it to you. I mean, I, I wouldn't even be able to explain it to myself exactly. But I uh, I really really enjoyed it, and some of the pieces that really stuck out to me um, was especially the uh, the dancing scenes where the one female character would dance with the. Uh, the, I guess the embers of the fire. Yeah. In the motion. Tell me about constructing those. Um, that's funny. That's based on um, a camping trip. Um, I can't. I don't remember if there were drugs or whatever was involved. But a friend of mine did that. He he just stoked uh, these two branches that he'd ripped off of a tree into a fire and then he sort of disappeared into the darkness of the, the woods that was surrounding the site and we lost sight of him and then all of a sudden he, he must have been twirling the branches around and uh, I just really vividly remember this the shapes that the the, um, the zigzags of the embers were making through the darkness and he would and he would uh, explode them on trees and the embers would splatter everywhere and it just uh, struck me as a I cataloged that away to use it sometime and then it just came up it flowed quite nicely in the What's book that? it flowed quite nicely in the book yeah um, I think so do you find that this work um is not representative of your work as a whole 
just looking through. That's interesting you say that. Just I'm looking. Glad you said that. Well, looking through the stuff in Moam, I mean, it's all very colorful, loud. You know, it's there's a lot of senses, and this is more pared down, where you kind of have to engage it in a different way, other than just reading it. Yeah, absolutely. I um, the the sanctuary seems to be an anomaly. Um because everything else I do is either more uh, cartoony or, or more realistic uh, taking place in modern day with real dialogue and everything so uh, which is that's what I'm really interested in so um, I guess I was just carried away by the idea of this caveman thing um, but interestingly I think uh, I think the sanctuary is the best thing I've ever done the, the strongest thing I've ever done I think it holds up to criticisms better than I think the stuff in Moam is more vulnerable to criticisms, but but ironically, that's what I'm more interested in doing is modern, realistic kind of things. Why is that? Like, why why work on something that you feel will be more challenged than, say, what you're doing right now or what you did with Sanctuary? I think I think people respond to. to um, modern realism more than anything else these days when it comes to comics. Um, I mean, you can just tell when you're at a, a comic show with your book and someone's flipping through it. it I can almost, it's like I can read their minds or something. That uh, <laughs> The fact that it's about cavemen and it's kind of, there's some ridiculous moments. Um, something inside of their mind glazes over or something, so... Um, and you know, I'm interested in. I want to engage the readers. You know, that's that's half of doing this. Mm -hmm. When you were working on the work, had you been exposed to Chester Brown's Underwater? Oh yeah, yeah. I have all those. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know if that was the inspiration necessarily but I mean I was definitely aware of it um, but I think I think he was trying to do something a little bit different um, cause I, I think what he was doing was from a child's point of view yeah um, yeah and so it was all garbled and then as as they learned it, it like the language morphed into coherent English a little bit but he never mm -hmm. finished it so and maybe just to let folks know what I'm referring to is in the sanctuary the cave people kind of talk in these grunts of syllables that do they make sense to you oh yeah yeah there's a um i have a glossary and a grammar thing so <laughs> it, i mean it makes sense if I, I don't i wouldn't expect anybody if i came across this book and i didn't write it i would be hopeless as to how to yeah interpret it but they, but if you have the glossary, you could figure it all out. I mean, they so seem it, it to work as a language. It seems to be more uh, emotive than necessarily uh, literal, if that makes sense. Like the grunts, uh, the the intentioned grunts of how the situation is. I think some of it is. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's, it's pretty literal. I mean, I could... I could translate it into English. It, it's kind of based off of uh, the sort of pidgin Spanish. I, I lived in Mexico for a little while, so I, I developed this kind of rudimentary, uh, lazy way of just memorizing a couple hundred words and the conjugations, and then I could I could get through interacting with people, but I, I couldn't have elaborate conversations with anyone um, so I think that's where I was inspired to sort of model it mm -hmm. after that.
Now tell me, uh, art is a prominent feature in the sanctuary, um, but it's like an ostracized feature, I guess. How do you feel? Is that kind of your own commentary on the role of an artist, or just how art is interpreted? Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's, well, the guy in the, the artist in the book, um, he kind of, uh, they're, they're making him use his artwork functionally, sort of, to, uh, chart the number of buffaloes that are killed, um, but meanwhile, he's sort of doing his own thing in the recesses of the cave, um, and then he sort of prompted through a series of incidences to kind of um, become more political with his artwork where he puts on a little show trying to sort of raise the consciousness of the, the people in the tribe, uh, which just makes everything worse, even though he had good intentions. Um, so, yeah, and he's definitely an outsider within the society he's in. Um, and I, it's weird. It's funny. Um, I've been feeling legally in the comics community. I feel like an outsider. I feel more of an outsider in the comics community than I do in regular society as an artist. Sometimes I think. Um, but well, I, I don't know if that's reflected. What makes you feel that particular way? Is it just like cliqueiness, or just kind of? intentions in your work? Well, recently I went to the Brooklyn Comics Festival and uh, uh, Gabe Fowler, who owns Desert Island, invited me to sign there for an hour and I, and it, it just seems silly to me. Uh, I, I just don't think this is my audience are necessarily comics readers. I don't, I don't know. I think um, there's emphasis right now is on things that I'm not necessarily interested in. Mm. Well, I mean, you can uh, say that that particular situation is in some ways a cultural extremity in comics, too, with a very particular viewpoint to be seen at Brooklyn, at the Brooklyn Festival. That doesn't really capture a larger... There's definitely... um, yeah, I, I got this sort of feeling that, uh, or this thought that, um, and this is a total generalization, but that, it seemed every there's this common way of thinking about things mm-hmm. um, within the the alternative comics scene. Um, I, I haven't put my finger on it exactly. It's just a faint nausea I get sometimes <laughs> when I think about it. And that's okay. <laughs> You know, it's it's uh, it's I I was I was at the Brooklyn Festival too. Um, I had a table there, and it it was busy. It was great, and I enjoyed it. Um, but I also am weary of this current culture of uh, everyone being kind of involved in doing comic conventions and attending comic conventions. Um, yeah, it's um. I saw tendencies like uh, the screen printing thing just seemed huge. It seems mm-hmm. like uh, the visual aspect seems to be drawing in a lot of the excitement. Where for me, comics are mo- it's it's more like writing a prose book or something, you know? Um, yeah. So I it's very confusing. But, uh, it's always been comics are always it's always been confusing. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't know if people are uh, necessarily quite sure or comfortable with what, with where comics are going in the next ten years, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> That's just my own <laughs> supposition, maybe. Um, do you, so you feel like the sanctuary, as far as like a style and topic, is something that you won't revisit, or is that maybe once when you feel another story in the same vein or well sometimes uh, actually in the the new moan that's going to come out in 21 there's a I did a sanctuary prequel a little 14 page thing that sort of 
it's the artist as a child and and how he developed. Um, but I don't I don't think I'll ever do another caveman thing. But I do sometimes I think I feel like I'm gonna end up doing the same book over and over again, just in like a different context somehow. Well, um, one thing that that kind of has relation to the plebes is the context of violence, I guess. That kind of cultural violence between competing cultures, I guess. Yeah, I was um, I was at a dinner party the other night, and uh, kind of got into a. I guess it wasn't an argument. I guess it was a discussion about um, some woman was telling me about she saw some film about the uh, some, about child prostitution or human trafficking or something, and and how everybody should see this film. And uh, I was I was kind of arguing that I mean somebody who was who's going to be involved in human trafficking isn't going to see this film and change their mind uh, necessarily. Um, but then that led me to later on talking about how I kind of see humanity as um, funny. It's like a, how a lot of the religions see things that that um, humans are... Uh, I'm definitely not a humanist. I don't necessarily think that things can be better. Yeah. I, I think that it's out of control, that it's madness, that um, I don't think the problems in Israel will ever be solved. I don't... Um, I think the world will explode or melt or something before these human problems are, are ever figured out. Um, I'm not happy about that. Yeah. You kind of have a sense of hopelessness? Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I'm an optimistic. I'm kind of a. I feel like a happy guy. <laughs> so I don't. I don't. Even though I see things like that, I, I in my day to day life, I feel pretty uh, optimistic. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that's there's violence and uh, human violence towards other people. Uh, yeah, that shows up a lot.
let's talk a little bit about your uh, your mom work, um, which is pretty pretty spread out and different. Um, you you've got the plebes, but then you've also got the kind of one person telling a narrative stories. Do you use mom as a chance to kind of explore different types of stories that you are attracted to? Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, I thought uh, when I started doing MoM, I I wanted to do a different thing each time. Um, I mean, maybe picturing myself as some badass doing, I can do all these different things, but uh, I'm actually thinking that it might have been detrimental. Um, as far as getting your name known and people knowing what you're doing, because um, most people kind of do the same thing for at least a couple, even somebody like uh, Bob Dylan or something would would do the same thing for like three or four years, you know, yeah. um, before he would change and then do something else because I, th I think people need a few years of the same thing to sort of um, decide who somebody is or something or, or um, but well, yeah, I, I kept doing different things in Mom. Yeah, it's quite like I didn't realize like I'd read a bunch of the stories already and didn't realize they were all the same person like it's kind of funny that the you know the um, the Delia's love is the same person that did the uh, the cover to Moam uh, 18 which I at first thought was like a Josh Simmons cover yeah um yeah I don't know why why it's like that <laughs> it just comes out that way yeah, I don't know. I I definitely wish I could do more of the the realistic uh personal stories, but sometimes I get swept up in in more of an abstract kind of idea and uh or or some kind of point I want to make or something and then I'm sort of at the mercy of that and have to see it through. Um yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. If hopefully, my plan is to do more realistic uh, narrative fiction um, in the future. But I mean, that was my plan like six years ago, and I keep fucking it up. So I don't. Well, like the Delia's love story, especially stuck out to me the first time I read it because it just seemed like such a. There's something harsh but believable about it, and just something that really pulled me in with the storytelling. Yeah, the I'm pretty I'm I really like the the structure of that because I kept I kept trying to figure that story out. Um, it's it's just a straight on linear thing about um, this guy and this woman he's seen and it's this fucked up relationship. But uh, it seemed more interesting to me for some reason to frame it with in the future he's he's telling not the future, whatever, in the present, he's telling his current girlfriend a story about this old relationship, and, and, uh, I'm not, I'm not, that just seemed much more interesting to me, I'm not sure why. It, it kind of felt almost like, uh, like a Harvey Picard comic, if Harvey Picard was a complete dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, I just watched American Splendor last night, uh -huh. um, and my my girlfriend had never seen it, and she kind of got choked up at the end. And I and I didn't realize how, uh, and maybe it was just the movie that that was kind of sentimental because the those comics never were. But did, um, did you find them just really cold or just not exciting? The yeah. Uh, the I'm not sure he was such a a great writer as he's. Um, thought to be in the comics community anyway mm -hmm. um, because I mean some of those stories are, are boring um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, the initial uh, I think like kind of like Warhol like um, like his conceptually that he decided to do these stories about real life was kind of a, a huge that was really important Mm -hmm. I think that um, they didn't necessarily have to be good, uh, you know, to 
get the point across. But yeah. Sometimes they just have to do the job. He picked a lot of terrible artists too, or not terrible artists, but uh, I could never, I could never get past the visuals a lot of the time, depending on who was drawing the Picar stories. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll agree with you there. Sometimes it looks great, other times it's, it's pretty unreadable. I mean, that's, yeah. that's comics. He uses a lot of words. Yeah. That's, that's also, uh, I'm starting to ramble now. <laughs> That's also uh, a okay. thing about uh, what's Neil Gaiman and uh, Alan Moore yeah. and Picard. I'm, they to me they have this thing where they uh, it's almost like they don't know they're writing for a comic. They're just writing and writing and writing, um, and they don't see the kind of the the musicalness of it. You know? Yeah the the kind of lack of poetry that they may have? Yeah, like uh, how you can read from panel to panel and, and it's more like bop, 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 bop instead of a huge block of text and then you look at a picture and then another block of text. To, to me, that's that's not taking advantage of the the rhythms. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like, a lot of people really don't think about that, but, like, someone whose work I really like because of that aspect is Austin English, whose comics really feel like they have, like, a jazz beat to them, and I read them, like, they have this flow to them, this rhythm that, that, that kind of bites at you. <laughs> That's funny. I, I've only read one page of Austin's uh, comics, but I've met him several times, and he's um, a really goofy, funny guy to hang out with but I saw his comics and I just thought alright I'm not I'm not in a mental place where I could even <laughs> consider this <laughs> I mean there may be something going on with it but I'm I'm just not ready it's I, th I think his work it, it, it is a challenge for folks but I kind of feel like once you get it you get it and so it just takes time to like find out what it is about it and then you just jump into it and like I said, it's, there's a certain meter in there within how his characters talk, which seems at first just cut off, but it all is very specific. Like it just it has a certain rhythm to it, certain staccato, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I should go, I should go back and explore it because yeah. he's. I mean, yeah, he's he's such a personable, charismatic kind of guy that uh, it, that's another thing about the comics world is you're you're never sure if. Um, someone is well acclaimed or people are buying their books because they're personally charismatic or if it's the quality of the work no comment um <laughs> uh yeah um what are your uh, first stories in Bohm um the uh the five cosmic doodads uh, it was really interesting for me reading after I read The Sanctuary because it was just such a step in the completely opposite direction where you're kind of creating this complicated universe, this colorful, vibrant reality, or not quite reality, that everything interacts together. Um, was that kind of like a shedding of the the bleakness of The Sanctuary, or...? Is that just more natural for you? Um, I don't. I think that one's pretty, maybe a little bit bleak too, even though it's colorful. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't know that that one. I always thought that one was a little too. It, it's pretty didactic, but it's it's kind of disguised with this happy, um, fun feeling or something. Um, now, were these strips you originally started working through in hoax, some of them, or characters at least? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> that truckhead guy who's in there, uh, he I developed him in Ted Stern's class. Uh, and I think Ted was always sort of not ashamed, but kind of like, oh, you're still using this guy? Like, why are you doing that? Um, <laughs> but to me, it was—I don't know—it was just this uh, way to kind of 
Um, I don't know. It's like I had to get all that cartoony stuff out of my system or something. It did. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You might have to ask another question because I'm <laughs> really floundering. <laughs> well, do you see this kind of... I see little bits and pieces of it kind of jumping back in later issues of moment. Is this something that you're kind of working with bigger and or is it kind of like the universe you're working in as far as your comics go to explore your ideas? Um, I don't think I'm exploring anything because I definitely not when I'm making it. Mm -hmm. um, the, yeah, the explorations come they're in my mind way before I <laughs> set anything down. I can't I'm not I, I have really self-conscious so I, it's hard for me to to draw from like panel to panel or something like that. That's like a, I just feel crazy when I do that. Um, so I'm definitely not working anything out. Um, it's all things I, I already feel deeply about. I think that that end up as comics. Where do you kind of see your comics taking you? Creatively. Um. Well, I mean, the ne the next thing I'm going to do is a is a, a novel that's more modern uh, about people living now. Um, I don't I don't know. I just I want to I want to do something that blows people away. You know, I want to I want to blow people's minds. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's well, the main goal, I guess. But even though it sounds kind of corny or something. Well, I'm really curious to see what it is you will do next because I, I see you've like kind of started all these, you know, four or five different tracks, and um, it's all pretty strong storytelling. It's just curious to see if you continue to do diverse types of stories or you're going to veer into one particular idea. Yeah, well, for me, the most important thing is that I've, I, technically, I feel like I've put in a lot of the work to to get to the point where I can just do something as I see it or want it to be, and it sort of comes out half really close to being how I want it. So, and I feel like I've sort of just gotten to that place. So I feel like the next thing that I'm going to do will be more, I'll be completely in command um, so whether or not that's going to make something good or not is it yet to be seen. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a matter of time, right? Yeah. Um. Well, thanks for taking the time to join me today, Nate. Uh, as I said, I really enjoyed the sanctuary, and I'm looking forward to uh, whatever other comics bring bring you uh, my way. It's uh. Like I said, I really like that uh, the Delia Delia's love, and the um, the one about the musician, especially. Yeah, I'm glad that you like those because those are those are probably my favorites. Yeah, it seems like you're able to really jump into their minds, and uh, give these characters their own lives. Oh well, thanks. Yeah, that's that's a great compliment, sir. N no hyperbole. I don't believe in it. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Nate. Okay. Thanks.
had gone to rest All the friends I ever had gone He is daddy weep He is mama moan Wouldn't have been so bad If the poor girl died at home All the friends I ever had Cutty's looking high Cutty's looking low He shot for deer down With a cruel 44 All the friends I ever had Are gone High up on the housetops High as I can see Looking for them around us Looking out for me All the friends I ever had are gone Man in Atlanta Trying to pass for way Deal years in the graveyard boy, Six feet out of sight All the friends I ever had are Sister Cuddy, what's this noise about? All about them around us, yeah, trying to cut me out. All the friends I ever had are gone. Cuddy said to the judge, what might be my fine? The judge says, poor boy. You got 99 All the friends I ever had are gone God is in the jailhouse Taking from an old tin cup Delia's in the graveyard She might never, never get up All the friends I ever had are gone Friends I ever had a 